Good morning. We are grateful that you are here this morning. It is yucky outside, and there are a lot of folks who are traveling. I did the quick math, uh, kind of as the start of our services, and, and that's not a preacher's count. Don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, but I think we've got at least 30 or so that were here last week that are out either to sickness or travel or anything like that. So we've got a good number who are gone. It's one of those days makes it hard to travel sometimes and get out. Many who are sick and decided to stay home for, for good reason, didn't want to spread anything. So we missed them. But we're thankful that you are here thankful especially to our visitors who are amongst us and we're thankful for a good opportunity to study God's word and also to enjoy fellowship. We hope that you can stay with us for lunch if you'd like to and be back again at 1:30 for our afternoon service. We have been continuing this series on the names of God and if you have your bulletin in front of you, the outline in front of you, you'll notice the the titles at least, no outlines right now. Uh, Travis did give me an update earlier in the week that we hope uh, maybe in the next couple of weeks to, to have the folks come down again and install some new projectors and be up and running again. But you'll notice uh, from the titles that we do plan to, to sort of bring this to a conclusion, hopefully this afternoon. Uh, there are several names. There are actually many, depending on who you talk to, uh, many names that we could look at. Some of them are used only once. Uh, but So we're going to take a look this afternoon at about four or so names just to kind of touch on a few others. And then uh, we'll be done with this study, but appreciate your good comments and hope that it has been as encouraging for you uh, as it has been for me. Throughout history, people have certainly acknowledged God. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 23, Paul says to the Athenians that I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, and I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. We go back to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2 and verse number 47. And after Daniel interprets this first dream of King Nebuchadnezzar, he says, truly, King Nebuchadnezzar says, truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets. In Joshua chapter 2 verses 9 through 11, Rahab, she says to the two spies as she's with them and she's helped to hide them, she says, the Lord your God the one who dried up the water of the Red Sea and helped you defeat the two kings of the Amorites. He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Even Pharaoh, of course, in Exodus chapter 5 and verse number 2 says at the beginning, Who is the Lord? I do not know the Lord. But by chapter 12, verses 29 and 30, there is a great cry in Egypt from the captive in the dungeon to the very same Pharaoh, there was not a house where there was not one dead. Even if he never changed, I would be willing to say that Pharaoh now believed in God. And of course, we're all familiar with James chapter 2 and verse 19. James says, oh, you believe? That's fine. That's great. But even the demons believe. But to acknowledge or even believe in something or someone is not the same as knowing them right? I, I can look around the room and I can name anyone and I could say even Miss Brenda here. I, I know Miss Brenda. I know her hair color. I know something about her. I can list where she lives. I know some things. But that doesn't mean I, I know her, right? Doesn't mean that I'm really close to her. So a person can acknowledge that God exists. We can list the people that we've already mentioned and say they recognize that there was a God in heaven but not really know him. We've been trying to learn about God by knowing his names or, again, as we've tried to emphasize, some people would say simply these descriptions of him. We know we need a deeper relationship, but the only way we can get there is by having a relationship, by knowing him. 
This morning, this is the one that I've been excited about. This is the one that originally stirred the idea within me, and then we decided to kind of expound upon it. There are so many instances where God made provisions for his people. Actually, we go back to the very beginning, and from the very beginning, God made this beautiful garden and man in his own image, but pretty quickly it was realized that it was not good that man should be alone. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. And he needed a help meet, and God provided. Just one page over in my Bible from Genesis 2 is Genesis 6, and the world has become such an awful, evil, and corrupt place that God is sorry. He's not apologetic, but he's sorry that he had made man. And so he's going to destroy the earth, but righteous Noah needs provisions. And God instructs him to build a boat so that he and his family might be saved. And we go forward through the Bible and we think about the other instances that are well known. The well known ones like Joseph and Esther and Philemon. I was recently just reminded that of an instance right before we get to Elijah and the meat of the story of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 3. 1 Kings 18 and verse 3 where there is a man named Obadiah who was in charge of the evil Ahab's house. And it's a provision where when Ahab's even more wicked wife, Jezebel, decides to massacre the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah is now in a position as being in charge of Ahab's house to save a hundred prophets. And he hid them, each, fifty each, to two different caves and saved their lives. While God certainly has made many provisions for man, our name today, for today's this morning study, is found in only one place, and that's Genesis chapter 22. And if you have your Bible, you may want to be turning to Genesis chapter 22. You recall in Genesis chapter 17 that Abram is 99. And he is about to become Abraham because he will be the father of many nations. Verse 16, God says that this son of promise will come from his wife Sarah. And Abraham laughs. Essentially in God's face, he laughs at this declaration. He says, I'm a hundred. And she's 90, and you expect me to believe that that's going to happen? And then shortly thereafter, in Genesis chapter 18, three men appear, and they say the same thing, that Sarah will bear a son, and this time she laughs. I think most of us would agree that that would be probably our reaction if someone told us at such an advanced age that we were going to still be able to bear children. But you know the thing about God and his promises, right? We come to Genesis chapter 21, and behold, verse 2 tells us that Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. And Abraham called the name of his son Isaac. This thing that couldn't be done, this thing that seemed impossible, at least according to human minds and human thoughts, this thing that seemed like it was impossible is possible with God. You remember the great promise that God had made to Abraham at the time Abram in Genesis chapter 12, right? The land promise and the seed promise. And we read there that Abraham was 75 in Genesis chapter 12. So for you non-math majors there like myself, he's waited 25 years for this son of promise to come. 
And it's in that same section, chapter 11, and verse number 30, that we're reminded, or at least told, that Sarah was barren. It's been 25 years waiting on something that can't happen. And yet here we are. And we read about this son of promise in chapter 21. And Isaac is born. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 22, in verse number 1, that it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Why do you think that God tested Abraham? Have you ever considered that? Why, why are we even here in the first place when we come to Genesis 22 in verse number 1? I mean, he had been faithful to God, right? We know that. He had left his home back in chapter 12 when God said, take you and all your things and people and move. He had been faithful, had he not? Do you think that if God had asked him, are you faithful to me? Do you believe and trust in me that Abraham would have said, yes, God, I've been alive a hundred years. I'm old, of course, I've been faithful. But you know what? For a hundred years, he hadn't had that son of promise. You know, we often spend so much time asking God for just one more thing, right? Just one more thing, God, if you will bless me with this, then I will be faithful. Then I'll be faithful. You'll see if you'll just bless me with whatever this one thing is, one step further, I'll be faithful to you. Abraham is a hundred, and he now has his promised son. And while this promised son is a gift from God, is it not true that we, and even Abraham right here, have the opportunity to put anything in the place of God? Do you remember what we call that? We've discussed it quite often because it's easy to look back at the Old Testament and say it was their problem. We've talked about the book of the month club we've gone through. And every time we go through the prophets and we talk about how awful the children of Israel were and what was their problem. What do we call putting something in the place of God? It's idolatry. You mean to tell me, preacher, that God gave me a beautiful spouse whom I'm supposed to love and cherish? Aren't they supposed to be first in my life? No, because it's idolatry. I love my kids. They're great. They're a blessing to me. I love my family. God wants me to put them first, right? No, because it's idolatry. I got a good job. I have more than enough. That's great. But you better watch out. Why? Because it'll become idolatry. The house, the boat, the golf clubs, the fun things, idols, idols, idols. I want to sleep on Sunday, God. I, I need to rest. Don't you know I've been feeling a little sick and I just want to take it easy? I, I need this. I need some just some me time. Your personal wants? Idolatry. Any person, place, or thing, any wants, wishes, or desires, any thought, idea, or imagination, anything that takes the place of God is idolatry, including a son of promise. Perhaps God tested Abraham because it didn't matter if he was 25, 75, or 100. If he was still alive, he could put something in the place of God. Yes, including Isaac. Now, in everything we read or picture, we think of Isaac as a young man. The best we can read here from the scripture, from the context, is that he is already weaned from chapter 21 in verse number 8. So he's older than that. But in chapter 24, they go and they find a wife for Isaac. So he's younger than that. Now, we know from the interaction that we're about to discuss that he's old enough to speak 
And he's also old enough to ascertain when something's not right about a situation. So maybe a teenager or a young man is the best fit. It's in verse number 2 of chapter 22 that we read God's instructions for Abraham to take his son whom he loves and offer him as a burnt offering. As it is provided for us, there is no further discussion. There are no further instructions. Have you ever tried to put yourself in Abraham's shoes? What would you have said here? Uh, God, that, that's great and all, but, but I'm going to need a little more from you than just that. Than just take your only son and sacrifice him. God, I'm sorry. I, I must have been thinking about something else. My mind was off somewhere. My, my mind was thinking about something else. But I don't think you said what I think you just said, did you? How often do we take God's instructions for male spiritual leadership in the home and in the church? God's design for marriage and family. How often do we take God's instructions on how we should worship or about baptism and salvation and we want more or ask questions or doubt or we simply decide to do what we think is right? We simply decide, he, he must not have meant that, surely, right? Instead of simply obeying. And yet the very next words we read in Genesis chapter 22 and verse number 3 are, So Abraham rose. And he saddled, and he split, and he went, as God had told him. Maybe he's thinking in his head. Maybe it's not recorded for us by inspiration in Scripture. Maybe as a human, he's thinking about these things. But God gave him instructions, and so he did. And we might even think, oh, that's great. He just went, and, and he did as he was told, right? Hey, if we're not careful, we make Paul and we make Abraham and all these people, some, we put them on a pedestal. We can't reach them. Abraham did it. And that's fine because he simply did what God said to do. But verse 4 reminds us that it was three days. Abraham was a great man. But if he's human and you've got to contemplate this for three days, I have a feeling that he's trying to mull this over. He went for three days with Isaac by his side. For three days he was probably fidgeting, biting his nails, staring off into the distance, hoping, wishing, wishing and questioning in his own mind, thinking of whether or not God really meant what he said. But the time comes and Abraham leaves his two servants behind. He takes the wood, he takes the fire, he takes the knife, he takes his son, and the two of them went together. I don't know if it was ten paces. I don't know if it was half a mile. I don't know how far they went before either A, Isaac realized that there was no animal, or B, Isaac finally got up the courage to just simply ask, Hey, Dad? Yes, son? Where's the lamb? Did he pause a moment before answering? Did he sigh and dip his head with resigned shoulders? Did he start with an excuse only to give the truth of the matter? But Genesis chapter 22 in verse number 8. My son, God, will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And again, the two of them go together. They finally come to the place. Abraham builds the altar. 
Did he pause a moment before going further? Did he sigh, dip his head with resigned shoulders? Did Isaac fight back at all? Asking why? Why was his daddy doing this to him? But the Bible simply says that he bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar, upon the wood, and as we usually imagine, no matter how much time passes or how long he might have waited, he gets to the point of stretching out his hand with the knife in his hand to sacrifice his son when he hears the voice of the angel. Abraham, Abraham. Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And with that, with what I imagine has to be tear-filled eyes, Abraham looks and there is the sacrifice caught in the thicket behind him. The sacrifice is made. And in verse 14, after we get through all that, we get another name for God. My Bible says that Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. Your Bible may say that he called it Jehovah Jireh. God provides. Has God ever provided for you? You see, part of looking at this Old Testament story is to understand that not only does God provide, but he provides even when things are hard. And he never once promises perfection or perfect protection from every harm or illness or bad situation, but Jehovah Jireh, God provides. Unless we miss the main point here, you nor I have really any excuse to consume ourselves with the worry or anxiety in this life because the God we serve, he is Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who provides. I hope you know me by now well enough to know that I fully understand that there are some people in this life who struggle with mental troubles. There are some who, who struggle with imbalances or issues that are much deeper than many of us deal with. But if you are a child of God and you serve Elohim, the creator, if you serve Adonai, the almighty God, if you know Jehovah Jireh, it should affect your life in such a way that you with full assurance can say, the Lord is with me, I will not fear. What is it that man can do to me? Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 6. The reminder that it doesn't matter what I face. It's pain, it's suffering, it's loss, it's worry, it's anxiety, but Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, Now to him, that's capital H in your Bible, God, now to him who is able to do. If you turn there, you notice it's one of my favorite passages and encouragement, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do what, Paul? You've talked about this God. We know some of your story, but what is he able to do? Watch it. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Question, do you ever dream? Do you ever think about good things? Do you ever imagine in your mind what life might be like? 
Some translations there render that word in Ephesians 3.20 beyond what we can ask or imagine. God can do more than I can imagine? Absolutely. And not only that, he can do exceedingly, abundantly more. We are limited here. We can make promises. We can try to carry through on those. We can tell you, well, I'll do my best to do something. You need help, I'll be there in a heartbeat. But we cannot do above, exceedingly, abundantly more or above than God can. He is the Lord who provides. More than I can ask, more than I can think, He can provide. I look around this room and I see a Lord who provides. He has provided for you as He has provided for me. So here's the question Are you ready? It's real easy promise not going to make it hard why are you worried David said in Psalm 37 in verses 25 and 26 I have been young and now I am old yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread he is ever merciful and lends and his descendants are blessed Jehovah Jireh Paul said to the Christians in Philippi, Philippians 4, 19, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. All my needs, all my needs. According to his riches, his wants and desires, not what I want and desire, Jehovah Jireh. Why are you worried? And you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. For one final passage, we're not going to go through it in great detail, or at least not when it comes to reading all of it. So much of the Sermon on the Mount is, is tucked away. It's easy to read over. We emphasize. I feel like for three or four lessons in a row, including Wednesday night, I've mentioned Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. And it's just as true as it was then. But if we're not careful, we skip over certain things. Matthew chapter 26, verses 25 through 34. The question is real easy this morning. Why are you worried? Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? You can write it in your Bible if you want to in the margin. Jehovah Jireh. He provided for Abraham. He provided for Adam. He provided for Eve. He provided for Noah and for Joseph, for Peter and for Paul. How many more examples do we need to understand that he is the Lord who provides? The questions are real easy here even though they're very frustrating to us. Question, can you make yourself taller? Can you make yourself taller by worrying? Oh, sure, some of us absolutely try, but we can't. Most of us would agree that sometimes we make ourselves smaller, spending all of our time worrying. Does he take care of the grass? Does he care for the flowers? How much more does he clothe you? Does he care for the sparrows? How much more does he love you? How much more does he love me? Jehovah Jireh, why are you worried? And Jesus gets right up to the part that we know so well there. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. But before he gets to the part that we know, it gets real and it gets serious in a hurry. Verse 31. 
Do not, therefore, do not worry. Quit talking about what we're going to eat. Quit talking about what we're going to drink. Quit talking about, stop obsessing over what we'll wear. Why? Why is that, Jesus? For after these things, the Gentiles seek. He might as well have just said, Jehovah Jireh. Stop worrying like worldly people do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Oh, the Lord will provide. We've seen it. You've seen it. I've seen it. He's made good time and time again. But the question now is, then how will that change your life? Why are you worried? You see, the Gentiles would have been known. They would have been a group of people. It may have been, I don't think Jesus is. He's certainly not sinning, being derogatory. But there's a distinction. There's a a distinction between those who are there to hear his word and those who are Gentiles. There's a distinction between those who are trying to follow him and those who are living after the flesh. Those who are trying to make it to heaven and those who are simply worried about this world. And the question is, which group are you in? Which group am I in? Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And again, as I look around this room, there's not a one of us here that can deny that fact. And yet we sometimes live day to day as if it's an unknown. As if we're not sure what's going to happen. Jesus says, quit talking about what you're worried about, about what's going to happen with your food or what you're going to wear or where you're going to go. Stop worrying about those things. In fact, the section concludes in verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The question is, why are you worried? And if you know you shouldn't be, if the Lord will provide, if he is Jehovah Jireh, how will that change your life? Will you feel different going forth from this place today about God? Will you change your life in such a way that you still got to work? You still got to take care of your body. You still need to make some plans so that you have food or that your home is taken care of, that your family is taken care of. But are you truly worried about it in such a way? I've never been asked to sacrifice my son, any of my children. I dare to say that you can agree that that's the case. The interesting thing, even as you read forward in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 about Abraham, is that it almost seems as if Abraham went through every moment, every verse of chapter 22, knowing Jehovah Jireh. He says to the two men there, we will come back to you. He says when Isaac asked him, where's the lamb? God will provide. And I think he was ready when that lamb showed up to stand there and say, let's make this place Jehovah Jireh. He knows it. You know it. So the question is, how will it change your life? Maybe above all, the greatest provision is that he's provided a way for salvation. He's provided a way out of the eternal punishment that we deserve. You want to worry about something? That's something that could be worried about, but yet he's provided. He provided his only begotten son to shed his blood for you and for me and for the sins of the world. The question comes back to us, even here in this moment. Will you submit to him? Will you follow him? Will you stop worrying the way that he talks about here and instead totally submit to him? He is the Lord Almighty. He is the creator. He is all these things that we've talked about, and he is the Lord who will provide. This morning, the question is, have we submitted to him? 
If you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, why not? Why not come and follow the Lord who has provided and the Lord who will provide? How many more examples do we need to see, to read about, to understand that he means what he says? He's told us the way to be saved. If you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, would you come to know him? Would you submit yourself to him? Maybe you're here and you've done that. You've submitted yourself to him in baptism, but you've not been faithful. He still provides. Maybe you're here and you need to come back to him. You need to confess something possibly in a public way. One of our elders will be here in the front in just a moment to receive you, to, to hear you, to pray with you and for you. And as we always say, the beauty of this situation is we have a whole family gathered together. You know the Lord provides a church. The Lord provided the church, a family for each one of us, if we would simply be a part of it, if we would submit to him. The Lord provides, even this morning, a way of escape from the temptation of this world, from the eternal punishment, and it is his only begotten son and his blood. Do you need to become a Christian? Do you need to come back to him? Do you need the prayers of this church? We would love to encourage you now as we stand together and as we sing.